kind of want to follow them right now. <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> but I will stay here with all of you. <laughs> all right. How is everyone? Sometimes when we go up to kids' time, the very first thing that I say to everybody, there's usually a big group, I say, so give me a sign. How are we feeling? Here? Are we here? Are we here? How are we feeling? Check in with your neighbor. So, can we just do that right now? How are you feeling? Give me a thumbs up or a, eh. Great. I think, I think we're doing pretty well. <laughs> this is great. All right. Um, our passage today um, picks up right where we left off last week in the Gospel of Mark. Um, just as a little bit of a recap, because you may not be pulling on that memory right in this moment, um, we are at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. Um, this is one of the four accounts, as we know, one of the four Gospels um, telling of Jesus's ministry, Jesus's story, Jesus's life. And this gospel, the gospel of Mark, is the most abrupt. It's the quickest read. Learned that in seminary. Action moves really fast. So last weekend, we heard Pastor Mark read from the book of Mark, and we heard um, this version of Jesus calling his first four disciples. They were fishing along the Sea of Galilee, and they dropped what they were doing and followed Jesus. And Speaking in metaphor, directly related to those fishermen's vocation, Jesus says, follow me and fish for, yeah, fish for people. Fish. And they're off. It's abrupt. So here we are at the story immediately following those four first disciples and Jesus. From the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee, the gospel of our Lord. So this story is abrupt, right? Jesus enters. He teaches with authority. We don't really know what he's teaching about, but everyone's amazed. A man cries out, makes a scene in the middle of this very public teaching in a synagogue that's like the center of community life and, and school and uh, public happenings. Pushing back, questioning an unclean spirit 
something that's malintentioned, evil, in other versions it's called demons. Maybe it's something perceived as some sort of illness, right? Jesus says, get out and heals the man and everyone's amazed and we're done. It's not only abrupt, but in several versions of this and in several retellings, we talk about casting out demons and it's not really language that we are comfortable with or that we, or that we use. But this language is used several time, times in Mark's Gospels alongside healing stories. But it doesn't take us too much imagination to grasp this big idea of God getting rid of evil, right? We can easily go there. And that's fine and good, and that's a wonderful conviction. And this passage talks about authority, another word that I think makes us cringe a little bit sometimes in our culture in 2024. We're maybe a little bit more distrusting of authority at times. We prefer notions of being authentic and free will. It's where our culture is today. And this passage does not oppose any of that. I find myself um, constantly as I'm learning, finding words um, and phrases or writing styles that can be taken in such a variety of ways or with like, you know, such variable weight of meaning that I find myself either wanting to like say the word over and over and over again until it makes sense in in a new way in my mind, or just like paraphrase the heck out of it you know, till, till I understand that way. And I think this is kind of a, a bo- as always, a both and situation, right? So the wording and the abruptness might lead us to stop our thinking and our imagining right there, right? Jesus performs an exorcism, right? Okay, we get this. God, good, evil, bad. Let's move on. But of course there's more going on here as there always is. Why do we pass on this story for thousands of years? As many of you know, um, as I said in announcements, we just got back from a common cathedral weekend and this is our sixth or seventh time um, participating in this trip. We had a fantastic group of young people. Um, We were joined by friends uh, from North Community Church right up the road. Uh, We brought about 16 people up to Boston to to learn about homelessness right alongside people who have been affected and struggled with homelessness in their past. We hosted an open house with all the donations that you all provided and we hosted a meal for unhoused individuals or individuals struggling with poverty? For anyone, no questions. So Common Cathedral, just a little context, is a community, a church, a spiritual care community with the mission of bridging the gap between housed and unhoused individuals. Common Cathedral runs a variety of different programs and resources in the Boston area. This is the same organization that we provided sandwiches for weekly, thousands of sandwiches all throughout um, those COVID years. But this weekend was really abrupt. Four p.m. on Friday, we left. Four p.m. on Saturday, we were back. But very little sleep. (laughs) 
there's a couple very close to heart agreeing going on in the in the <laughs> in the pews right now. One moment we were at Chipotle figuring out how to hold our overstuffed burritos together. And an hour later, we were hearing a story from a woman sharing about sleeping with her two children under the gazebo in Boston Common. One moment, we're in the hustle and bustle of Boston on a Friday night. The Christmas lights on Boston Common are still up. And the next moment, we're hearing from a man whose parents were deported when he was 10 years old, and he suffered from a brain tumor early in life. One moment, we're walking by the AMC theaters, thinking like, oh, I'll, maybe I'll bring my kids here. This would be a, a fun excursion. And the next moment, we are at the St. Francis house, a homeless shelter, hearing about the 600 people they feed daily. 600 people who seek shelter and food daily. And hearing how they care deeply and their process for caring someone who enters in who's far from sober. One moment, we're not comfortable making eye contact with impoverished people that we see on the streets. And the very next moment, we're holding hands in prayer with Common Cathedral's faith leader, their pastor, calling these hundred students and the Common Cathedral community family. One moment, we're laughing, laughing and comparing the thickness of our camp mats or yoga mats or something in between as we're setting up on this hard church floor, just like this floor, to sleep at night. Well, just an hour earlier, we were staring at a pile of blankets and cardboard on the floor of Boston Common where someone had slept the night before. Everything felt really abrupt. We held a lot this weekend. The joy of relationship, the laughter of being amongst friends, the excitement of doing something new and meeting new people, the gratitude we feel for being able to serve in this way, supported by this community always, and the seriousness of this situation, the seriousness of poverty, the seriousness of being without consistent, safe shelter. We've gone on several trips with Common Cathedral. We participated in a similar program in Hyannis a couple years back. For us, it's a trip. We go, we come back, it's abrupt. We're there, then we're not. We get a glimpse of the depth, the complexity, and the humanity of this place, this place where collective evil, if you want to call it that, and sin, societal wrongdoings, where that all sits, and it's so obvious. And this experience, it shakes us quite a bit. And then we leave, and it's gone. It's gone from our view, at least for a little bit. 
And we have this gospel, the story of Jesus getting rid of evil, getting rid of all that that weighs us down, that separates us from this vision of a loving God in a world that's for everyone. And it's easy to be distracted by the abruptness of this story, right? The speed of action, a serious situation, right? A man in pain, a man with an unclean spirit, whatever that means, solved with brevity, right? Done. That just doesn't happen. But if we look again, as we are called to do, this is not implying that anything is quick. Our sense of time in the Bible is absolutely warped. Looking at the four Gospels, we have stories written by multiple authors over several decades, not even written till about 40 years after the stories had taken place. 40 years of like storytelling. And now it's 2,000 years later and our culture is totally different and we understand things in a very different context. Of course, our understanding of time is just warped when we read these stories in the Bible. Casting out this unclean spirit seems quick. Jesus heals. But we actually hear that story and that conviction all the time here, right? So take the warp speed out of it. Take that warp speed healing out of the equation for you. And this conviction stands that I personally hold, right? That God is reconciling this world pulling us towards the world that's for everyone and that is set up for everyone to participate, that works for everyone. Or that same conviction in slightly different words that might resonate for you in your life and that you've certainly heard before, love wins. Goodness is stronger than evil. Hope can be stronger than fear. God heals. And this God that we somehow trust and is somehow working in the world, fixing things, <laughs> is not a God that's a disconnected and distant authority. And that, I think, is the crux of this story. It's a God that we see in a person right in front of us. It's an authority of power over evil that we see in a person with us, right alongside of us. And then to take it a step further, are you with me? <laughs> to take it a step further, a God that we all share in our own person, a spirit that's with everyone, an authority that we are all responsible to bring about. So looking to Jesus as one to follow, as that those disciples did in our story last week, the abrupt passage before this abrupt passage, when they just drop everything and follow Jesus. What are we following? <laughs> are we following around this person that is healing and just watching? Watching someone else bring about the kingdom of God, said another way, a world that's for everyone? and feels like it's for everyone, we're absolutely not asked to sit and watch. 
if those disciples are following Jesus, if we're following Jesus, we're getting in there, right? We're calling out what's wrong and we're fixing it. We're naming a problem, maybe personal, maybe societal, and we're working on it with God, with the people around us, with the spirit that surrounds us. Last week, Pastor Mark gave us this image of turning towards God and changing and following, but not in a way that abandons who we are, right? We're asked to authentically live into who we are and share our gifts. God, in that previous story, speaks with those disciples as fishermen, right? Fish with me. And so, in that authority of God, in that authority of goodness, that conviction that love wins, you have a part to play. We all have a part to play. The healing work of God, the power of that goodness happens through all of us, through people. And it's not hidden, right? This story is in a synagogue, again, the center of Jewish life. It doesn't happen through punishment. It doesn't happen through sacrifice of self-care. And there's pushback. Who gives you authority? Who puts you up to this? Whose side are you on? What's in it for me? What's in it for you? What political party are you supporting? There's got to be a negative side. What are you taking from me? What do I lose by listening to you? What do I gain? Can I tolerate whatever change this might mean for me in my life? There's absolutely pushback. You can think about that with a personal struggle or a societal struggle. How often do we push against what is good? How often do we fail to see what is good, to see God at work so that we can get on board and follow? So many of you know I'm a student at Luther Seminary right now. And I just got back from a class with um, Dr. Andy Root. You may have heard of him. He's written several books on, um, that really focus on what it means to be church, be a community, to be a pastor, to be a, a youth leader um, in a secular age. Um, and the class that I just took is called Theological Frameworks for Ministry. And yeah, Theological Frameworks for Ministry. Does that sound impressive? Are you impressed? <laughs> okay. What is the frame the ideological frame that we sit in, that we all sit in, with which we think about God. And it's very different than it was 2,000 years ago. Extremely different. We live in a very different time and place. What structures are in place that we take for granted, right, that are the core setting for our, our beliefs, for our convictions, for the things that motivate us? And that's what I mean when I say beliefs. That's one of those tricky words, right? As recent as a couple hundred years ago, the world was a really mystical place. The world was enchanted, right? And there was no question that every person was deeply connected to this force outside of themselves, like this scary thing that was, you know, powerful and could, you know, inflict, you know, great disaster on everyone, right? God's working, but we don't really know how, and it's scary. 
And we generally don't think like that anymore, right? And that's a good thing. Or maybe we do a little bit, but we certainly don't have to think that way to be able to contribute meaningfully to society or to be a good person or any of that. I mean, in many ways, that's a really good thing, especially when it comes to, to medicine and um, healing, of course. But we have lost something, too, in that. We've lost our ability to recognize God's work, to recognize that we're connected to something beyond our physical being, right? We have God that's working, but we don't really know how. We can't quite grab it. We don't really know it's going to be like that. (laughs) I can't quite place it. Our framework for these stories is totally different. We can unpack that for days and weeks and months, and we will, (laughs) and we do all the time. Today we're talking about demons, so we're going to go back to that for a minute. We're almost done. (laughs) And while this story is easy to dismiss, because it feels so far from where we sit, from our theological framework in 2024 in the United States, It does hold hope. It holds some good news for us. God is present and working, constantly casting out demons, getting rid of evil, getting rid of sin, the junk that keeps us from trusting God's promise, from trusting Jesus's gospel, from trusting that word that says that new life, a new beginning, a new start is absolutely for you. Right? The story is saying, hey, God's on your side. God's working to fix things, liberating people, people and societies, casting out everything that prevents us from flourishing, prevents you from flourishing. And that authority, that vehicle, that power is the people, is us. In our final debrief this weekend at Common Cathedral, the leader um, and their director, they're a pastor, an absolutely amazing leader um, named Carrington, Reverend Carrington, who's connected with us in this congregation, He had each group of students and leaders um, write a prayer followed by action steps that we were going to take here to address the problem of chronic homelessness. And the prayer was first. Why? The prayer centers us around this conviction, centers us as a community around this conviction that God is good and that God is working. The prayer centers us in knowing that there is goodness outside each of us and within each of us, pulling us towards God's vision. We center ourselves in that so that we can join, so that our action steps become clear. So we know that we're not alone and so that we can join in God's work so that Jesus can work, so that God's authority can lead us, that authority, that goodness that says that goodness is stronger than evil and that love wins. 
Amen.